0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. As the Declaration of Independence was being signed in 1776, Sam Adams, known as the, well, I guess the father of the American Revolution, he was the cousin of the second president of the United States, John Adams, and instigated the Boston Tea Party. But here's what he said. As the Declaration of Independence was being signed, we have this day restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven. And from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. Notice the emphasis that, John, that uh, Sam Adams brought. First of all, the goal and the focus was on God, the God who made and preserved us a nation. He was sovereign, and it was to him that all ought to be obedient. Then he says he reigns in heaven. And so from the rising to the setting of sun of uh, the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. Have you noticed that here was the father of the American Revolution talking about the kingdom of God? He was not talking about the kingdom of men. He was not talking even about a governmental institution called the United States of America. He was talking about God who would reign and rule. He went on to say, "...a general dissolution of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America... Then the whole force of the common enemy, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws, will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners or life are universally corrupt. He, therefore, is the truest friend to the liberty of his country, who tries most to promote its virtue and who, so far as his power and influence extend, will not suffer or allow a man to be chosen into any office of power and trust who is not wise and a virtuous man. If we would truly enjoy this gift of heaven, let us become a virtuous people. Well, virtue went bye-bye a long time ago in America. In fact, in 1992... I believe it was Forbes magazine, you know, that foremost business magazine devoted its entire 75th anniversary edition to asking the question, whatever happened to virtue in America? That was in 1992, the very year that Lord spoke to my heart as a trial attorney in California saying, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause of the land as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation in America's greatest crisis hour here on the near edge of the second coming. I said, yes, sir, we formed Save America Ministries. For those of you who have not been listening to this program long, we formed Save America Ministries there in 1993 to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation. And so today on Viewpoint, we ask a question. A question that should echo in your mind and heart after we've been introduced through Sam Adams, the father of the American Revolution. Here's the question Is this America's last stand? Is this America's last stand? Now, please don't dismiss that question and the severity of it, because it's of great importance. Sam Adams said, if ever a time should come when vain and aspiring men shall possess the highest seats in government, our country will stand in need of its experienced patriots to prevent its ruin. Question, are you a patriot? And are you willing to become even more experienced as a patriot? Not to raise up America as some idolatrous savior, but to raise up and preserve the country, its virtues, not its vices, its virtues, and its liberty for the advancement of the kingdom of God on this planet until Jesus comes. That's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And our special guest today, Drew Thomas Allen. Drew Allen, with his book, America's Last Stand. And, uh, Drew, it's uh, that's a pretty dramatic title, uh, but I happen to believe that it's an accurate title. Welcome aboard.
1: Yes. It's great to be with you, Chuck. That's... I mean, so important what you said. I would add one more quotation from George Washington when he said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. True. And
0: did you uh, know uh, that Sam Adams said the same thing?
1: I didn't know that Sam Adams said. Sam
0: Adams said said virtually exactly the same thing as did John Adams. Yeah.
1: So these themes were important to the founding fathers and the American revolutionaries. Uh, we can see how important religion was to them and the foundations uh, that they built this this country on. And, of course, unfortunately, so much ignorance is out there because it's been mistaught or lied about, frankly, with our history, right? They try to say, you know, that, that the founding fathers, they weren't religious and this and that and you know, separation of church and state, which isn't actually a real thing either. And by the way, they happen
0: to own a slave, and by the way, that absolutely disqualifies them, even though from their viewpoint, to practice homosexuality absolutely disqualified you from government and from the armed forces in uh, George Washington's army.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you you know that? Yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes,
1: that, that I knew. Um, you know, it's interesting. You know, I, I was telling you, I'm, I'm out here in Washington, D.C. right now while we're talking at CPAC. And I actually took a trip to Mount Vernon uh, yesterday. I had some time. And I, I can't tell you what a powerful experience that was, Chuck. Uh-huh. Being there, um, knowing what we know as, as students of history. Uh, of what that place meant and what George Washington was, and to go back to where it really began uh, and then to look at where we are as a country now, uh, we are, we have become and are facing the, the threat and the enemy um, that the Founding Fathers feared would take place.
0: Exactly. In fact, we are right on the precipice of the destruction of the country through the very agencies that our forefathers warned about. And number one of those was the loss of our Christian foundation. That is, not that we had a foundation that was Christian, but the loss of the Christianity and faith of that foundation, and also the loss of virtue in our lives. That having been said, friends, I want to make available to you uh, Drew Allen's book. Uh, I'm sure it will be challenging to you, America's Last Stand. He doesn't put it in the question form. He puts it in a statement form. America's Last Stand, $18. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Write a check and $5 for a And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that hopefully transforms. And in order for the talk to transform, it's got to be more than information. So those of you who have listened long on this program know that while we provide vast amounts of information, we provide them for a particular purpose. And that is for transformation. The problem with most teaching and preaching today in our churches is the lack of genuine application. So the applications that are made usually are what you might call gospel light. They're all about making people feel good rather than making people good. You see, God wasn't interested in making people feel good. Jesus wasn't interested. He didn't come to earth to sacrifice himself to make people feel good. No, he came to make people good if they would follow him and be converted and receive forgiveness for their sin. Well, there was a a godly lawyer. His name was John Winthrop. And he came to America in 1630. Uh, He brought four boatloads of Puritans with him. They had thought that they could purify the English church that had gone into, uh, well, they were drifting away from the foundations of the faith. The pilgrims said, They're beyond hope, and so they were called separatists. But 10 years later, the Puritans landed in 1630, and John Winthrop, this godly attorney, led that crew. And before they landed, he penned a document called A Model of Christian Charity. That model is in the appendix of our book, Renewing the Soul of America. Renewing the Soul of America, one person at a time, beginning with you. 38 people, 38 national leaders endorsed that book. But I want to share with you what John Winthrop said at the end of his address. It was a document that some historians have said is the clearest expression of the American vision ever penned. And I want to share with you what he said at the end of that document. Thus stands the case between God and us. We're entered into a covenant with him for this work, and we've taken out a commission. But if we neglect to observe these articles that God has called us to, and dissembling or playing games with our God, shall embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us and be revenged of such a perjured people. And he will make us to know the price of the breach. Of such covenant. Now, therefore, the only way to avoid this shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, the prophet, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And for this end, we must knit ourselves, be knit together in this work as one man. We must hold each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to rid ourselves of our excesses to supply others' necessities. We must delight in each other. Make others' conditions our own and rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and common work, our community as members of the same body. So shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people if we will do this. And he'll command a blessing on us in all our ways. So shall we find that the God of Israel is among us. And the Lord will make our name a praise and a glory, for we must consider that we shall be like a city upon a hill. But if we deal falsely with our God in this work, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God, and all believers in God, and we shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we are forced out of the new land where we are going. Therefore, beloved, it is set before us, life and good, death and evil. Choose life. Wow. What a statement. And it seems to me, Drew, that we are put in the crosshairs of that prophetic statement that was made in 1630 by a lawyer. What say you?
1: Yeah. Well, it's amazing to think of the wisdom that these people offered us. And truly, we are on a course for destruction because we're not heeding their wisdom. We're not heeding even the words of Washington during his farewell address. And I love this program, Chuck, because I'm a Christian and... Our plight, uh, it's a spiritual war we're engaged in as well. Yes, it is. It's not that that this is just, you know, um, secular and it has nothing to do with They they are combined. They're the same thing. And what made America so unique, what still makes it unique in terms of our founding documents and the way our life that we've enjoyed and our unique freedoms is the insertion of God. Because... Every society elsewhere, every culture, everything that was created—whether it was a king, whether it was a theocracy—they put men over men. And our government reje- and our our documents rejected that. Our point of view rejected that. It said that God was master, and also said the citizen was master, and those in government were servants. And we are not free today, Chuck. I mean, I, look—I've got an eleven-month-old daughter, my firstborn. Uh-oh, you um, got
0: challenges, my friend.
1: <laughs> I got challenges, <laughs> but but no challenge. Uh, bigger than trying to do what I can to give her a life that she can enjoy and thrive in. And uh, and and we're looking at an end of that right now. And, you know, I think that one of the problems is Christianity itself, in my opinion, um, it's actually a fact. I think you'll agree with me. We'll see. Um, but it's been bastardized. So, you know, it, it's been taken and manipulated, and we've been, we're being served a Christianity that's not Bible-based anymore. So, for you said right, something it's feeling so based. powerful. It's feeling-based. You said something about, um, that made me think of a, a sermon that my pastor preached uh, last Sunday, and he talked about the fact that we should be offended when we read the Bible. Jesus should offend us, because he wasn't here, and he did offend. He offended those that listened to him, because... He's not here to tell us what we want to hear. He's here to challenge us to live a life and strive to live a life that he has chosen for us. Well, wait a minute.
0: Oprah Winfrey said that the most important thing when she went to Dr. Smiley's church in Houston was she felt so wonderful, so joyful. There wasn't any condemnation. There wasn't any, any correction that was necessary. Everything was so sweet and so wonderful.
1: Yes, this individual you're speaking of... I've never once heard him mention Jesus, not a single time. You know, maybe it's happened, but you're right, it's feel good. You're not supposed to go to church to be made to feel good, although you should feel very good because because you're in church right. and because you have the opportunity because Jesus came and died for our sins, you're forgiven, so well, you can actually have eternal life. That's the good news every Sunday.
0: Well, that is the good news, but wait a minute. Let's suppose you're in Washington, D.C. right now, right? Mm -hmm. So actually just being there almost makes you feel like you need to take a five-hour shower, right? Um, Because actually there's so much crustiness of ungodliness. Now, let's suppose that you're feeling that way, but you don't want to take the shower. So you're going to continue feeling that way. You're going to still have the dirt around you. But if you take the shower, then you're going to be relieved of the dirt. And even though you didn't want to take the shower, now that you have, things have changed. And isn't that really what the gospel was supposed to do? We were all sinners, filthy, needing a terrible spiritual shower but we didn't want to get it because he didn't want to get wet. But then when we did those who did became the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name and took the shower.
1: <laughs> well, that's It's a great analogy. And of course the problem is if you don't try, if you don't take the shower, you'll never know mm. what you can have. And yeah. this is a problem if you relate it to policy and whatnot in America too. Um, You know, we have politicians that, uh, you know, maintain the status quo, certainly. Uh, We're suffering under policies, things that don't work, whether it's economics and, uh, you know, ideas, a lot of progressivism, certainly. And, you know, we don't give people an opportunity to reap the benefits of of what what I I believe in, which is conservatism, obviously. I mean, I believe in the founding documents uh, in freedom. But we, like I was saying, we, we aren't free today. I don't know what it's like in Chuck. Like I, you know, you 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 have a couple of years on me. Uh, God bless you. And, um,
0: <laughs> You're you, so kind. You, you've
1: experienced much more than me, right? I mean, I'm I'm 37. I just turned 37. I almost got it wrong. I'm 37. Well, I've got and 40
0: years on you, then, brother.
1: 40 years. 40 yeah. years. And, and
0: you know, and, as as uh, as the song said, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus.
1: <laughs> yeah, Yep. yep. yeah. Well, well, and we do, we do need to, I mean, look, I, if you look at what's happened in America with the studies or polls and information out there that's available for everyone, you can see the decline in church attendance. You can see a decline in the, the number of people that um, you, know, you know go to church, the number of people that uh, say that they are Christians, for example. And that decline, I am telling you, is uh, directly related to America's present situation.
0: It is. Now, the terms that you've been using for the last few minutes are secular and governmental terms. But there are direct spiritual uh, terms that describe the same situations. Uh, For instance, you use the term progressivism. Well, progressivism actually at its root is rebellion against God. That's what it is. It's not progressivism, it's regressivism, but if you have the viewpoint that God didn't know what he was talking about, and we're modern men now, and we know better, then what you're going to do is rebel against what God said, even against what our founders said, and you're going to embrace a completely different viewpoint. And we say here on this program, almost every day, viewpoint determines destiny. So our viewpoints on these things are extremely important, aren't they?
1: Oh, extremely, extremely important. Look, we are we are engaged in a war with language, and a war with reality itself right now. And for example, you make a great point. I call this progressivism. Well, that's what the uh, you know Democrats would call their
0: By the way, I'm kinda of losing them. you. Get your instrument right up to your face again.
1: Uh oh. You get you got me now, Chuck? That's better. Okay. Um Yeah, look, I mean, they play with these words intentionally. Uh, One, it makes it difficult to communicate with one another because we're not on the same page with language. We're speaking foreign languages. Mm -hmm. And and you're right, though. I love this idea that, you know, if you go back to to the Bible itself and those teachings, if you get back on track, those do influence, quote-unquote, secular policies as well, because those also are intertwined. And, um, you know, it's a shame because there are a lot of Christians. We're still a majority Christian nation. And knowing that, you would think that we would be very strong bulwark against what's happening in the country right now. But unfortunately, um, a lot of Christians they don't understand that their role as Christians is actually to be activists. Jesus called us to calls us to go forth and make disciples of all nations, True. not sit at home. Uh, and that's the same thing with our country that we were handed. Right? Well, if we were actually,
0: if we were activists in discipling people to obey God, which is what the Great Commission was all about then we wouldn't have this problem. Our problem is that we have tried to do an end run around what Jesus told us to do. And uh, to put it real bluntly, he said there in Matthew 28, look, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And we decided, you know what? Jesus said, I'll build my church. We decided to build churches and not make disciples. So guess where we are? We're in a land filled with church buildings that are undiscipled people. In other words, they're not obeying God. And a people that don't obey God cannot be a virtuous people. Therefore, we have, by definition, actually undermined the very foundations of the country. Even in the name of Christ. That sounds yeah, pretty pretty those, tough talk for troubled times, but I believe it's exactly true.
1: Well, it is true. Look, I was looking for a church for a long time because uh, we had moved up to actually live in the Napa Valley, and I couldn't find a church for a while because a lot of You know of why? Off- because uh, you
0: guys in the Napa Valley are drinking too much wine.
1: <laughs> yeah, too, too much wine. Too much wine and uh, too, too many, uh, you know, uh, pride flags flying outside of the church <laughs>
0: yeah right <laughs> uh
1: you know i mean it's it's the woke church the woke jesus right and i mean I, I i go to a church that's amazing right now we have a pastor that came in from texas and he's bible-based but um that you know god was removed and he still is removed from so many of the churches i mean actually god is there the holy spirit is there but uh we, we're rejecting it yeah and so you go to these churches and if it doesn't mesh with what is popular secu- in the secular world well we just omit it or change it or lie about what jesus yeah. said or pretend that he didn't
0: say it well it's the road to hell it's called compromise we'll be right back after this friends america's last stand
2: there is so much more about chuck Chris Meyer and save america ministries on our website saveus.org for example under the marriage section god has marriage on his mind
0: So glad you've joined us here on Viewpoint today to talk about this very important subject of our country. But some believe that, you know, as a Christian, we're about the kingdom of God. And therefore, by definition, we cannot be supportive or do anything about our country because it's irrelevant. Now, I have in front of me a series of comments. Came from a fella. By the name of Sam Adams, the very name of the father of the American Revolution, whose quotes we began this program with. But this Sam Adams is a pastor. And he says that patriotism is idolatry. I want you to think about that. We want to take just a couple of minutes here with our special guest, uh, Drew Allen, With his book, America's Last Stand, and we want to talk, is patriotism idolatry? Is it possible that patriotism is idolatry? And what keeps patriotism from being idolatry? Now, before Drew answers, I want to make his book available to you again, America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? $18, we'll put the book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, that's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Okay, Drew, is patriotism idolatry? Yes, no, or in between?
1: I don't think that patriotism itself is idolatry. It depends on what that thing that uh, you are uh, powerfully in favor of uh, represents. So for me, I would would consider myself a very strong patriot. Mm
0: -hmm. But that's
1: because the country I love is grounded in uh, the word, if you will. It's grounded in the freedom that comes from God. So to me, my passion and love for the United States of America and our story is directly rooted in, just as it was for the founding fathers, a belief in God and, and unalienable rights that come from Him, our Creator. So no. But if you believe that your country or you know that that place that you are are patriotic about is something that is grounded in, rooted in, and loves that which would offend God, then yes, there's a problem.
0: Yeah, uh, because so you you of, have now adopted uh, an alternative to what was really the founding goal and principle of the country. In fact, if you go back to the founding documents of 12 of the original 13 colonies, all 12 of them had in their founding documents the goal of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ across the seven seas and the seven continents. Now, if that be true, how can one possibly determine that patriotism, for that purpose, was idolatry?
1: Well, let me answer it this way. And if I don't answer it, ask me again, Chuck. But, like, let's, let's look at the, the, the issue of slavery in our country, for example. Right. Th- that was something that was problematic for people of faith. So right. that was something that nagged George Washington in his writings. Right. It was something that existed that we knew was diabolical. And, in fact, it was so anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-God's Word that we had a civil war that erupted over it. It was inevitable that we would get to that point because it could not live with those ideals that we claimed to uh, uh, champion in our founding documents, which, of course, gave us unalienable rights.
0: In other words, we were not perfect people. The nation was not made up of perfect people. But our nation today is not made up of perfect people. In fact, the people that are screaming the loudest about the problematic problems of slavery are the most unvirtuous people in the country. They're embracing everything that God says he hates and is an abomination except for slavery. So it's like the kettle calling the pot black. So let's go back and reframe this question again because it's important. Over the past uh, 25 years, 30 years actually, since David Barton was circling the continental United States with his uh, uh, addresses and his book, I have uh, his books in my hands, he's been on this program before, and uh, he was acquainting or reacquainting Christians in America with our godly heritage. That was a wonderful thing. But here's what I saw happening. Over time... I saw Christians reveling in their godly heritage but refusing to humble themselves in repentance before the god of that heritage. So even the godly heritage was becoming an idolatrous object because we refused to humble ourselves before the god of that heritage. So therefore, we're actually undermining the heritage, are we not?
1: Well, that's exactly right. It's a very superficial association with christianity um if you celebrate that heritage but i mean it's the same thing is is not acting you know if you if you go to church on sunday and you sit there and then you leave church and you engage in the very behavior that you know is wrong in terms of your beliefs um you're not doing it very well you know christian being a christian is about action it's not about you know and, it, and it's personal too isn't that so, what J- you, jesus
0: brother james said he said be you doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving your own selves.
1: One hundred percent. Aren't exactly we a decei- right.
0: Aren't we a self-deceived nation today?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's and why you say is-
0: it's America's last stand, brother. Yes. And I agree.
1: Yes, and look, and I, and I know that. I mean, look, it's not hyperbole, and I, I you know, I appreciate that you understand that too. Um, you know, I, I, we need people to understand right now how serious and grave the situation is. I mean, if the, if, you know, during the American Revolution and, you know, at that time, the American colonists had only known life under British rule. So they considered themselves subjects of the king. Right. And most Americans did not actually favor going to war with Britain. And it took, you know, Thomas Paine, who wrote Common Sense, which was so powerful for them, to get them to actually contemplate and talk to one another about what was at stake and whether or not they should consider uh, the, the the price that they would have to pay for their freedom. And I just think that we've come full circle and we're in a similar situation today where we're looking at the same thing they did, uh, another tyranny, and – it's um, you know, I just we really have to take it upon ourselves to educate and inform people because no one else is going to do it for you. Right. You know, whether you support Trump or whatever, you know, it's you know, we use people and God uses, certainly uses people's vehicles. But, you know, look in the mirror. That's Superman. You know, I mean, you know, uh, that that that's who has to go out and do the doing. Um, you know, Jesus is powerful. God is, you know, is king. But he calls on us to also take action. So we can't sit here and just, you know. Uh, I mean, prayer is important, but you know, you know, if, if you're a surgeon and someone's, you know, needs your help, if you're sitting over the body and you just pray for Jesus to save them when you have the hands of a surgeon to do it, I mean, you know, you're making a mistake.
0: Right. In other you're words, there to have to do. be practical, on the ground, manifestations of what you say you believe. If you really yeah. are a representative or ambassador of the kingdom of God, then that light should shine very brightly into the country. And that's exactly what the first governor, Governor Bradford, said about the Plymouth Colony. He said, look, as one light here, as as one candle can light a thousand, so the light kindled here can shine unto many, even to the entire nation. That's our problem. We just are not shining lights as God's people. We're playing games. We're hiding our light under a bushel because we're afraid that the seculars and the progressives might see it and make us uncomfortable. Amen. Did I say too much?
1: No. No. I mean, it just makes me think. It makes me think about technology and other distractions, even TV and all the entertainment, um, you know, it's, it's its destroyed human interaction and a dependency on one another in some ways. Yes. So my, my point is our communities are fractured. So, like, the government, for example, you know, people should ask, this is like some other book in the future, I guess, but, you know, it's, it's people should ask themselves, what is the function and role of government? What's the point of government? Because, you know, we, as kind of lazy people now, we don't want to go out and help other people. We, we don't think that we're too busy. That's not our responsibility to help our fellow American citizens around us. We just, just tax me, tax
0: Joe. Tax, oh, in other words, Jeff. you're saying we should delegate our God-defined responsibilities to some secular government to do for us what God expects us to do ourselves
1: yeah that's that's the tragedy of what's happened. and that's 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 you know we I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I, and it's hard because we we have such little like genuine interaction now, yeah, and um, even you know a lot of jobs and things like that that just they, you, you, you don't need it. it. It's taken it out of society and so we're kind of shells. We're very selfish. We're very selfish people, to your point. We're not mm-hmm. looking uh, anywhere else. It's just about me, me, me. Well, isn't Uh, it interesting
0: you should say that, because it was about 15 years ago, I was leaving the Chicago airport, driving along the, I guess they call them freeway or whatever they call them there, and uh, there was this massive billboard 60 feet wide, and here's what it said, me, me, me. (laughs) I mean, that's exactly where we are, and we're a selfie society. Therefore, the society itself is dramatically contrary to the society that Jesus portrayed to love your neighbor as yourself and to do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. That's exactly what John Winthrop, that godly attorney back there in 1630, said in his model of Christian charity. And if we could somehow re-envision that and humble ourselves as god's people and repent for selfishness and pride and even rebellion that has caused us to compromise with his truth we just might see god act on our behalf. i wonder if that's true we'll be right back
2: But the same can be found right now. Go to SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church.
0: Maybe 20 or 25 years ago, Leonard Ravenhill, a uh, prophetic, godly... A spokesperson said, wrote a book, America is Too Young to Die. Hmm. Well, it's been at least a generation since then, and we've done almost nothing to rectify that problem. He was saying that America was on his deathbed, but it was too young to die. A former... Chaplain of the United States Senate, Lloyd Helverson, joined me on this program. He crawled out of his deathbed to make his last public statement on this program a few years ago. And he, com- he was concerned about the church and how the church was not being the light to the country and that the nation was collapsing from the inside out because of it that was the chaplain of the united states senate before him two chaplains before was peter marshall and here's what he said in 1947 he preached he 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 made a declaration in prayer to the american senate and he said we'll have either christ or chaos so what have we chosen since then that was two years after I was born. What have we chosen since then? We've chosen chaos. And that's what we've gotten. So what do we do about it? Our guest today, Drew Drew Allen, his book titled America's Last Stand, and so I would reframe that in the question form, a rhetorical question, is this America's Last Stand? What say you, my friends? Drew, you wrote this book for a purpose. You wrote this book out of the passion of your heart, concern for the country that you would raise your children in. I've I've had three daughters. I have ten grandchildren and one great-grandchild. I've been through it all. I've seen it happen. I've walked through it. I've seen the underbelly of the body of Christ. I've seen the underbelly of the nation, both as a pastor and as a trial lawyer, but... You're just starting out, in a sense. Yeah. Where is our hope? What must we do? Is it just a matter of voting? What must we do?
1: You have to begin to live a different kind of life. Mm. You have to begin to live a life of, of purpose. Um, I relate it to having children. Um you have to do many things that you maybe don't want to do sometimes with, with your kids. You know, I mean, maybe you want to play golf, but, you know, you've got responsibilities. you got to take care of your family, and those things come first. And you, Wait a minute. A you say
0: it's care. more important to teach your children righteousness and holiness than it is to, to chase a white ball around a, a big grass field?
1: Well, I guess if you were really lucky, you could teach them together while you hit that ball on the golf course that would be your <laughs> your, your best case scenario <laughs> hey chuck do you do you know are you, do you uh are you a golf fan at all uh, absolutely
0: at all? not i've the only golf i've ever played was miniature golf
1: okay well yeah. did, did you know a guy named byron nelson
0: Did no. you ever hear of him no never so, did it,
1: well this is kind of a role model of mine he was uh-huh. my third cousin he won 11 consecutive tournaments in 1945. He's arguably the greatest golfer that ever played the game, and he retired at the top of his game. Uh-huh. But people said of him after he retired, they always said that basically, I mean, he was a devout, devout Christian. But they said, you know, as good as he was at golf, you know, he was even more uh, respected for the type of person he was. Wow. And this is somebody that, that used to sit – I mean, he, he, you know, my – um my my grandmother, for example, her husband died when my father was a young boy and she never remarried. Uh-huh. And the Bible instructs us to take care of widows. Right. And because of Bible, biblical, you know, uh, uh, wisdom like that and commands, he used to send my, my grandma uh, checks uh-huh. every month. He'd come and visit her, drive down from Roanoke wow. an hour trip. But, but that's what I'm talking about. This is the type of thing that's missing in our society today is that devotion – that allows us to transcend our our sinful nature.
0: Uh Uh-huh. That's a beautiful illustration. I appreciate your giving that. And uh, what you didn't know is that in 2002, I came out with my second book called Renewing the Soul of America that was uh, endorsed by 38 national Christian healers. You know why they endorsed that book? Because it was the first book that had come out in our generation. I don't know if there's ever been a book since then that actually gave the direction of hope for individual people's lives and what they can do and what they should be if we expected any hope or change in the country. And uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. For anybody, listen, friends, very carefully, for anybody that gets Drew's book, America's Last Stand, I'm going to make my $18 book available to you for just $13. Never offered it for anything close to that. For $13, so it'll be a total of $30 for the two books. They're complimentary. They're not in any way uh, crossing over. They're complimentary. And you're going to get direction in many different ways for change that you can believe in in our country. Now, here's the best deal about that at all. Even though there's $5 for postage and handling for the first book, there's only $2 or postage and handling for the second. Okay? So you're actually going to save, mm, you're going to save a lot of money on that book, Renewing the Soul of America. But in order to get that deal, you're going to have to call us. 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you're going to have to write to us and specify, because it's not on the website. That offer is not on the website. Okay? So, all that having been said, Drew Allen, you are indicating in your book that we have an opportunity to vote. Is voting a Christian endeavor? Yeah. How would you answer I that? I think
1: it is. I why it would is you
0: say why would you say it is?
1: I would say that it is because In terms of organizing our society, in terms of a government that is a necessary evil, uh, we have control over who our secular leaders are. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yes, voting is very important because we should be propping up. We should be selecting and also holding accountable to our religious faith, those individuals that we choose. Look, we've always done that. You know, I mean – you can go back to the Old Testament from David, and you know this is this is mankind's nature. Certainly, uh, unfortunately, the Israelites what they wanted a king. God gave them one. Very imperfect. Very imperfect. Right.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: But but no, it is it is a, a duty. Well, there's never okay. been a
0: perfect king. There's never been a yep. perfect president, a perfect prime minister. Jesus was the only ultimately obedient person ever on the face of the planet. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay, so here's the question then. Let's suppose that come 2024, whoever the, the people are, the men or women are, that are uh, set forth there as our choices for the presidency of the United States, what if you say, well, I don't like this about that one, and I don't look like this about that one, so I'm not going to vote at all? What do you say to such a person who professes to be a Christian?
1: I would say it's a very foolish and misguided decision to basically hand the future over in many ways um, to other people. To not let your voice be represented in this this society that we form for ourselves. Or to not let Um, your
0: light shine through your vote.
1: That's that's exactly right. I mean, you know, you you could apply that to many things in life and say, well, you know, uh, you know, I mean, work, you know, my CEO or what I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways you you could you could address I, I, sure. I, the problem. See, there's some truth to what the question is, and that can lead somebody to say, well, yeah, I'm not going to vote because yada yada yada. Uh, but no, I actually believe fundamentally it's very important it is part of it, it, reflecting your your Christian faith by holding up leaders that are also devout uh, and that are that are going to at least. Uh, move us as a culture and a society right. uh, back to that place that celebrates God. But, but again, stop looking for perfect people that don't exist. I'm a I'm a, I'm a sinner. Uh, I sin every day. I've sinned today. Um, and so, if you're looking for perfection, uh, you, you're not going to find it. So that that's that's not. And you know, a lot of stuff too, personal life. You know, people say, oh, you know, this person had an affair in the past or something right. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's also anti. We've got
0: pastors all over America that have had affairs. We've got pastors all over America that divorced their spouses, remarried someone else that Jesus calls adultery, and you're still celebrating them in the pulpit.
1: Yeah, yeah. You see the the problem? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay, now, uh, I think, Drew, that if we would only understand that the government is not, in America, is not a they, it's not a them, it's we the people. The very first words of our, the preamble to our Constitution are, we the people of the United States of America. In order to, and then we give out the broad purposes of the Constitution, in order to accomplish these things, we do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. We the people. It is a very short-sighted, I think, and uh, almost prideful idea that somehow I can extricate myself from voting in a nation like that because I want to sanctimoniously say, well, I'm only serving the kingdom of God. Well, yeah, you're serving the kingdom of God in your vote, in the other things that you're doing to live righteously, for righteousness alone exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people? Why is it so hard for us to get this, Drew?
1: Well, I think it's just the manipulation of of churches and Christianity over time by Mm. people that hate Christianity, that are feeding us something that's not true. For example, how, how many times do people tell us, you have to be tolerant because Jesus was tolerant? Jesus was entirely intolerant of sin.
0: Just was, read Matthew. Just read Matthew twenty-three. He was grossly yeah. intolerant of the religious leaders of his day. He called them white sepulchers and full of dead men's bones.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. But you know, but we have a, we have millions of Christians out there that think, well, uh, you know, uh, with the transgender issue in schools, a twelve-year-old kid wants to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just have to tolerate. No, we don't. We have to call out the sin. That's our responsibility as
0: Christians, mm.
1: and to create a culture that holds up um, uh, everyone to that standard. I mean, look. I mean, it's, we have. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the point. We live in this secular world, and God wants us to at least do the best we can to celebrate Him and, and, and here on Earth while we're here. And, you know, obviously, as Christians, we're so thankful because one day we get to to enjoy eternal life. Uh, in heaven, but while we're here we have to obey his commands and spread those commands. That's what he calls us to do. We have a a jealous God.
0: Oh, absolutely. All right, Drew, take a moment quickly. You're a father of an 11-month-old child. Uh, Pray for us.
1: Yes. Chuck, God bless you. And Lord, I, I just thank you for this conversation. I hope that this can move the needle in this country as you would see fit to move this, this, this country closer to you again, to celebrating you, to living up to your commands. And I'm so thankful for Chuck and for opening with prayer and for being such a, 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 a powerful voice for you out there that's not ashamed to speak about you, not ashamed to insert religion into the conversation. I thank you again. I hope this word gets out and influences people and makes our lives
0: all better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, will this be America's last stand? Might be up to you. You could lose the next election by one vote. You could. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by uh, faith to Save America Ministries, friends. Go to the website, saveus.org. Get a copy of this wonderful book, America's Last Stand. $18 will put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. If you want the special offer with Renewing the Soul of America, it'll be $30 plus $7 postage and handling total. God bless. Be a blessing. Pray for our brother Drew Allen that he'll be able to stand in the evil day and become the father that he needs to be for that young daughter in Jesus' name.